This programme was produced at and first aired on NPR, Manawatu People's Radio, with support from New Zealand On Air. Kapai Irarangi Tomotu, NPR. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. to Amazing Grace for another week. I pray that you will be enriched and encouraged. My name is Lynette and today I'm joined by... Dennis. Right. I remember I went to Central Normal School. Um, it would have been in the... Um, would have been about 66, I think, I went there. And um, I remember... the. They used to, the girls used to say, what's the price of fish today? <laughs> Dennis Price. Mm-hmm. So, um, yes, and Dennis the Menace got called that many a time. <laughs> yeah, he, he was a rat bag, wasn't he? Dennis yeah. the, the movie, Dennis the Menace. Yeah, mm. he was a rat bag. But I can vouch that uh, yeah. you aren't. <laughs> <laughs> right, so here at Amazing Grace, we would... Um, like to hear from you and we also have some free giveaways the book steps to christ which is a really very good book for not only getting closer to jesus but staying close to him and also in the local takeaways here in palmerston north you'll find a a magazine which is free called the signs magazine And this magazine has articles on health and family and issues that we face in life every day. So, yeah, I encourage you to check that out if you're living locally here in Palmerston North. Very good magazine. And we would also um, be happy to pray for you or a friend or family member on or off air. You can contact us by email at info at mpr.nz or you can text us on 022-6815216 And now I'm going to ask Dennis if he would like to say our opening prayer for us, please. Father in heaven, we thank you for... Um, life says it's by your will we're here. We thank you um, for redeeming us, Lord. It's just mm-hmm. amazing. You put yourself aside. Um, Lord, we also would like to ask for your Holy Spirit. Bible says without the Holy Spirit we cannot understand anything. So we pray for your Spirit here today. We pray not only for us, but we pray for the listeners, Lord, whoever's listening out there. Just pray that your spirit will be close to them and um, may what we share be a blessing to them, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you. All righty. So, 
just some some thoughts now. Um, short devotion. Uh, so this is from this is taken from Matthew sixteen verse eighteen, and the setting is that um, Jesus is speaking to Peter, and he says, "Who do men say that I am?" and he, Peter answers and says, you know, some say you are this and some say you are that. And then Jesus says, but who do you say that I am, Peter? And um, Peter says that he believes, he says, um, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus says to him, You are Peter. And Peter, in its language, in the, was it Greek or Hebrew? It would be Hebrew or Aramaic, I think. Right. Probably Aramaic or Hebrew. Yeah, so his, his name in his language meant stone, a rolling stone or pebble. He said, so he said to you, he said to Jesus, Jesus said to Peter, "You are a stone, a pebble, and upon this rock, upon this rock, the the rock is Jesus. The proclamation that he is Jesus, the Son of the Living God, Christ, the Anointed One. Upon Christ, Jesus said, I will build my church." And the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Now some thoughts. A man once asked Charles Spurgeon if his church was a pure church, since he was looking for a pure church to join. The great preacher said that he was not sure about his church. He knew there were many good people in it and some truly Christian people. But he added that there might be a Judas in it, as there was in Christ's first church. There might be some deceivers and adulterers, those who walk unruly, as those were in the churches of Rome, Corinth, Galatia, Ephesus, Colossae, Philippi and Thessalonica and all the others to which the New Testament epistles were written. Spurgeon said he didn't think that his church, on the whole, was the one the man was looking for. In fact, he did not know that there had been a perfect church in all history. But, he added, if you should happen to find such a church, I beg of you not to join it, for you will spoil it. That's pretty straight, isn't it? Because <laughs> nobody's pure. Christ's church may not be perfect, but it is still the object of a supreme regard. Wars, conquests, changing civilizations, and one of those civilizations was the was um, this. French Revolution and the um, French philosopher um, Voltaire, who was a 
atheist said this. I'll just get this quote. He said, He said, A hundred years after my death, or from my death, the Bible will be a museum piece. And this is the irony of it. A hundred years after his death, the French Bible Society set up its headquarters in Voltaire's old home in Paris. So even, so the only thing that's actually gone into history is the French philosopher Voltaire out of this statement, whereas the Bible, the church, lives on and... Well, it's interesting too because the the Bible has always been the bestseller and over 100 million copies every year um, are sold or produced. Isn't that amazing? Mm. Just growing from strength to strength. Mm. So wars, conquests, changing civilizations have rolled over the world, but the church still stands. The Bible still stands. Why? Because her foundation is immovable. For other foundation can no man lay than that it, it is laid, than that is laid, which is Christ Jesus. That's First Corinthians 3.11. Is the church important? If it were not, Christ never would have founded it. He promised that the gates of hell should never prevail against it. Remember, the Lord added to the church such as were being saved. Acts 2.47, the New Testament knows nothing of unattached Christians, said Archibald M. Hunter. So, New Testament times, the Christians were definitely attached to each other in a group, and that was what was called the church, a group of believers in Jesus. Meditation, prayer. Okay, let's let's pray together. But as for me, I will come into your house in the multitude of thy mercy. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, can I just say, um, oh, we have been over um, the East Coast um, beach for a few days, then we went up into the bush. And on the beach, I, I met this guy. Um, he was living over in Australia, working in the mines over there. Or he was a rigger and <clears throat> single guy. And I, I shared with him about how um, I became a Christian. My father was an alcoholic and... And anyhow, um, I was encouraging him to um, believe. And um, he said to me, "Oh, he says, um, he says, I know, I know a number of Christians, and um, they don't really, they don't live up to what they're saying, you know." And <clears throat> you know, the thought um, is, why am I sat in heaven because someone else is not living up to it, you know? The Bible is true. There is a God. There is a heaven to win and a hell to lose, you know. And so, um, no matter what shape the church is in, 
um, there is a good God and we keep our eyes on him. And one, one, what is that saying? One look at the wound, ten at the physician. Mm. So, yeah, that's just a few thoughts there. Mm. Yeah. And Jesus is that physician. And we are the ones with all the wounds, the scars and the faults and sins. But he came to save us. He came to rescue us. And that's what we're going to listen to now. He's our rescuer. He's our rescuer. We are free from sin forevermore. Oh, how sweet the sound. Oh, how grace abounds. We will praise the Lord, our rescuer. There is good news for the captive. Good news for the shame. There is good news for the world who walked away There is good news for the doubter The one religion failed For the good Lord has come to seek and save He's our
we will praise the Lord, our rescuer. So now we're going to do our health tip section. And carrying on from what I was sharing last time about the uh, circuitin rhythm. What's that you say? Okay, so this is coming from the book Live More Happy, Dr. Darren Morton. And the circuitin rhythm is the one of the rhythms of life that it's been found that humans benefit from. And that rhythm is the weekly seven-day cycle. So Dr. Morton's been giving evidence. And I remember last time how um, they'd found evidence that um, death rates, they studied Jews for over a 10-year period, and they found that um, death rates dipped on their Sabbath, on Saturday, their holy day. And um, so now we're going to have a look at another big study a massive study, in fact, involving more than 250,000 people. And it was um, looking at the circuitin effects or the weekly cycle um, rhythm on mood. Okay, so it's well documented. In this study of 250,000 people from from, let's see, from where? From the United States. The researchers found that people experienced the most positive feelings on Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, and the least negative feelings on Saturday and Sunday. It seems that Saturday is the cheeriest day of the week. <laughs> Another study found that people's concern about their health indicated by the number of recorded internet searches on related topics, fluctuates in a circuitin manner. As we saw earlier, one of the biggest causes of stress reported by people related to their health and what they should be doing that they are that they are not doing. So that's one of the biggest issues that causes them stress that they know about their health, but they know they're not doing what they should be. It seems we are geared to need a stress-free day week. Sorry, a stress-free day once a week. There is profound wisdom in the practice of Sabbath. In the 1960s and 1970s, economists forecast that by the beginning of the 21st century, technological breakthroughs would allow us to work only a few hours a week and our main problem would be deciding what to do with all our leisure time. Instead, we are working longer and longer hours and it's taking its toll on every aspect of our lives. The principle of Sabbath offers an antidote to this ever-quickening pace of life. And the stress, anxiety, depression and burnout it leaves in its wake. It offers a rest we so desperately need. Which can revitalise our physical, emotional, social and spiritual well-being. The practice of Sabbath, Dr Morton says, has always been an integral part of my life. Honestly, I don't know how people get by without it. Some people claim 
that they wouldn't get through all they need to do if they took one day out from work each week. But I have discovered that having a day off each week makes me more productive. It seems counterintuitive, but time out rejuvenates and can provide clarity we would not otherwise have. To borrow an an analogy analogy from Stephen Covoy, author of The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, it is like taking time to sharpen the saw. Trying to cut through life with a blunt blade is unproductive. Taking time out to sharpen the saw can allow us to achieve more in less time. Even in my busiest periods, the doctor says, of life, I have always prioritised one day out out in seven. I don't check emails or open my laptop. I endeavour to make it a digital Sabbath. And I don't feel guilty about it. It is my experience that practising Sabbath enhances my work. But more importantly, it enhances every aspect of my life my relationships, my health, and my happiness. So putting it into action, number one, L-O-L, laugh out loud. Seek out something that tickles your your funny bone and causes you to laugh. Two, sit in silence. Take 15 minutes each day to sit in silence and be mindful. And three, rest day. Take a day off. Don't even think about work. And make it a digital Sabbath by giving all your digital devices a rest too. So that's the end of that chapter. Rest well. De-stress. Unwind. De-stress. And that's our health tip for this week. So now we're going to have another song. And it's called Counting Your Blessings, which is really part of that um, whole concept of being healthy. It's... um, It's thinking positively. It's actually appreciation goes such a long way, doesn't it? So um, here it comes. Father's chair. 
My father's chair. So my apologies. I actually gave you the um, lead into the song that's coming next. But um, yeah, that song was written. Is it right, Dennis, that he wrote that song when he was fifteen, David Meese? No, he no. wrote uh, "We Are the Reason." Okay, but however, um, David Meese, what he's um, he's kind of given his story in a. In a, a all around my father's chair, and he's thinking about his. He had a terrible relationship with his father. His father had even held a gun up to his head and 
um, told him he was hopeless, and um, and he re- he couldn't um, he couldn't. Sorry, what were you going to oh, say? Oh, yeah, it's the last time he ever saw his father. Mm-hmm. Mm, he mm-hmm. hated his father for uh, years. Yeah, but um, God was allowing him to work through that whole process and 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 then he's thinking about how his own children now can come to him like he couldn't go to his father when he was um, upset. He has a chair that he sits in and they come to him and then he ultimately thinks of how we all have a father and that's God and that he has he sits in his chair, the throne and we can approach him at any time because of his great love for us. Yes, that, that's, um, I, <coughs> I, we were um, in Christchurch um, many years ago, or a few years ago, and he told, David Meese was there, and he told his story, and there's actually a CD that you can get that tells the story, and at the end of the story he sings that song, In My Father's um, Chair. And there's three parts to it. Yeah, it's it's really worth listening to. Righty ho. So now it's your turn, isn't it, Dennis? We're carrying on about um, looking at the Bible in depth and the um, end of the world crisis. Final crisis. Final crisis. Um, how are we going for time? Because we've got to have a break, don't we? Yes, we do. <laughs> we should have a break right now. If you're enjoying this podcast in Manawatu, you could make your very own, just like this one. NPR exists to help people like you tell your story or share your passion on air and online. Check out npr.nz for more information. So, well, um, welcome back. Um, now it's my turn. Um, <laughs> so we've been looking, um, well, last time I mentioned um, we were looking at um, well, last two or three times, we're looking at uh, the final crisis, and it's worth spending a bit of time on because it's, you know, when it happens, it's going to be really important to each one of us. Um, and the Bible tells us these things, um, not a lot of detail, but it gives us the broad picture of what's going to happen. And like I mentioned, that. Um, Revelation 13 and 14 is the final crisis, and after this crisis there is the harvest. And I read about the um, the parable in Matthew 13 about the tears and um, how Jesus explained it. So <clears throat> to be forewarned is to be forearmed. That's a really important point. So to be forewarned is to be forearmed. So that's why the Bible tells us what's going to happen in the future. Um, and I, I shared the, um, the verse in John 14:29 and uh, John 13:19 where it says Jesus says, "I have told you this, so when it happens you will believe." And I mentioned how this is last time just summing what we were saying, the first conflict was over worship. With Cain and Abel. Abel, um, you know, this is the first family. Abel did what God said to bring a, a lamb and offer it. It pointed forward to Jesus on the cross, but Cain didn't do that. He bought the fruit of his works, right? 
So he was not accepted, but Abel was. And sadly, um, Cain killed Abel. Right, so that's a miniature, the first family with the first conflict over worship, and it's going to be similar at the end. Right, and then I um, <clears throat> I mentioned about Daniel three, which is a a a picture, a very good picture of what it's going to be like. We're going to have this force worship, force worship, and uh, he put up a big idol, right, and he commanded everyone to worship. And if they didn't worship, they were cast into the fiery furnace. And the point is, here we have a political attempt to unite nations by the uniformity of worship. Very good point, that, because whenever you see church and state together, it is always trouble for those who don't um, agree or go along with them. And often it's against the Bible, and then you end up with um, a lot of persecution. Now, <clears throat> I, I want to give you some more illustrations in the Bible and out of the Bible. Now, what, what I'm trying to do is to show you that right through the Bible, the Bible gives us stories. So in the New Testament, we have these principles, the principle about the crisis at the end of the world. Now, in the rest of the Bible, in the Old Testament, we have many stories illustrating on a small scale what is going to happen on a major scale. Right. So in the first century, towards the end of the first century, the book of Revelation was written. John the Apostle who was, I think, the last one living at that time, very old man. Um, the emperor, I can't remember how to say his name, starts with D. I don't know if you remember, Lynette. But um, he, it was said that John would be alive to Jesus came, but that was not the truth. But anyhow, he was going to show that John could be killed. So they bought up a, a, a big vat of oil and they put John into it to kill him. But God miraculously saved him and then put him on the Isle of Patmos. And he wrote the book of Revelation. Now, when he wrote the book of Revelation, it looked like that church, that new church um, in the Roman Empire was going to be wiped out because Caesar worship came in. And with Caesar worship, every year a person had to... Um, they had to burn a pinch of incense and say to a statue of Caesar that Caesar is Lord. Now, the Christians couldn't do that, and many of them were killed. Now, um, we have a lot of um, information about the Roman Empire, and I have a letter from the governor, um, and I'm just going to ask Lynette to read that, mm-hmm. right? I was just thinking, was that um, was the emperor um, that you were just relating, talking about, mm. Paul? Was that um, was his name Domitian? Yes, I think it was. We went to uh, Rome. We've been to Rome a couple of times, but um, when you go into the Colosseum, you come out of that, and then you go past uh, Constantine. 
um, arch and then you go through another arch which was a memorial for how the Romans destroyed AD 70 um, and then you walk through the ruins and the ruins of this big um, palace where this emperor, how do you say his name? Domitian. Domitia. Something like that, anyhow. Anyhow, we're up there and we walked around, <laughs> you know, mm. nothing there. But this mm. is a letter that um, in the f- second century from one of the governors, I think to the emperor, isn't it? Yep, so this is from um, Pliny, the governor, to the emperor Trajan. Trajan. And this is what he said. I have asked the accused whether they were Christians. If they confessed, I asked a second and third time threatening penalty. Those who persisted, I ordered to be executed. For I did not doubt that whatever it was they professed, they deserved to be punished for their inflexible obstinacy. I dismissed those who said they were not or never had been Christians and who in my presence supplicated the gods and placed wine and incense before your image. So that's the um, the statue or the image of the emperor Trajan. And especially cursed Christ. So if they especially cursed Christ, um, yeah, he, he let them go. Um, and he said, which I'd heard no Christian, no true Christian will ever curse Christ or bow and offer um, any sacrifice to any any other God. Right. So as you can see there, um, a person, um, <coughs> if they said they were a Christian, um, they were put to death, mm. probably cruelly, probably crucified. Mm. Um, <coughs> or maybe in the um, in, in the, the arena, Colosseum arena. Yep. Yeah, we've Fighting been in that arena. Beasts. Yeah. <coughs> so bees. they were torn apart with the animals, mm. wild animals. Mm. Um, so, um, but Jesus said, "Be faithful unto death, and I will give you a crown of life." Right, you live forever. So, um, you know, that's a challenge. Will you accept Christ and trust Him to give you the strength to do it? Now, um, another example is um, if you read um, the Fox Book of Martyrs, um, now, especially the time um, just after Henry VIII, Henry VIII, his daughter Mary, she came to power. So, uh, most people know, if they know anything about Henry VIII, um, he wanted to divorce his wife and um, the Catholic Church said, no, you can't do that. So he chucked the Catholic Church out and he started the Church of England. Right Now, after him, um, I think there was Edward, and then after him, Mary. Um, they call her Bloody Mary. Um, so she wanted to turn the... Um, the church in England um, back to uh, the Catholic Church and she thought if she got rid of about a thousand people she could do it. 
So now, that's why she's called Bloody Mary. Yes, so she burnt. It's not a burnt, swear word. It's mm-hmm. because she caused the blood of so many people. People, yeah. So she killed about 300, I think, burnt them alive. Um, and there's some amazing stories of the courage of those people. <laughs> it's, you know, I've read it, how people went to their death to be burnt alive and they went singing. Um, they were like going to a feast. You know, God gave them the courage and it's amazing stories. But, um, for instance, in London, if you didn't go to the Mass, um, you were in trouble. Or if you were reading the Bible, remember we were in, where was it, Brentwood, and this young boy, 19, was caught reading the Bible and they ended up um, burning him in front of his parents. Mm-hmm. So, um, so you know, these things have happened in the past and, and what the Bible says. Now, um, an example in the Bible where false religion has been forced upon people, because this is what's coming, um, and... <clears throat> and in here, I'll just read it. This is from First Kings, um, and ver- chapter twelve, and verse twenty-six onwards. And it says here, and Jeroboam um, said in his heart, "So the the kingdom of um, Israel or the Jews was one kingdom, and after." After Solomon, um, Solomon's son, and then he had two tribes, and there was ten tribes for Israel, right? So the kingdom was divided, and Jeroboam was the first king. And this is what it says here. And Jeroboam said in his heart, right? He said in his heart, in his mind, now the kingdom may be returned to the house of David. If these people go up to offer sacrifices in the house of the Lord at Jerusalem, then the heart of this people will turn back to their Lord and will kill me and go back to Rehoboam, the king of Judah. Therefore the king asked uh, advice and they made two um, calves of gold and said to the people, it is too much for you to go up to Jerusalem. Here are your gods, O Israel, which brought you up out of the land of Egypt. And he set one up at Bethel and the other he put in Dan. Right? So let me just read what God said to him because of this. Right? So he thought the way to keep the people from turning away from him and um, the kingdom of Israel uh, was to set up worship. And this is what God said to Jeroboam. Um, The prophet's actually speaking to Jeroboam's wife. And this is um, 1 Kings 14, um, verse 7 on. Go tell Jeroboam, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, because I exalted you from um, among the people and made you ruler over my people Israel, I tore the kingdom away from the house of David and I gave it to you. Yet you have not been like my servant David who kept my commandments and who followed me with all his heart to do only what is right in my eyes. But you have done more evil than all who were before you, for you have 
gone and made yourself gods and uh, molded images and provoked me to anger and cast me behind your back. Therefore, behold, I will bring disaster on the house of um, Jeroboam, and I will cut off from Jerusalem every ma in Israel, bond and free, and I will take away the remnant of the house of Rehoboam as one takes away refuge unto its God. The dogs will eat whatever belongs to Rehoboam, Jeroboam, I mean, and die in the city, and the birds of the air shall eat whoever dies in the field, for the Lord has spoken. So that's pretty strong language. So God was really upset uh, with um, Jeroboam doing that, setting up idols, false worship. So he was setting up false worship and telling the people to do it. So that's what's going to happen. False worship is going to be enforced upon people. Now, I have a... I've got a card. I write all sorts of things on cards because uh, over the years I've learned a few things, just a few things. Um, now, for instance, um, you know, Jeroboam, he thought worship was the key to keep the people. Now, Lynette, I just want you to read here. Um, that's Micah 6.16, and we're reading from the New Century Version. Can you read that, please? Mm -hmm. Because you obey the laws of the king, Omri, and do all the things that Ahab's family does, you follow their advice, so I will let you be destroyed. Right, isn't that interesting? That's an interesting verse. Because you obey the laws of the king and do all the things that Ahab's family does and follow their advice, so I will let you be destroyed. So the time is coming um, when false worship is going to be forced upon us, right? not according to the Bible, and it's going to be a, a death threat, right? You won't be able to buy and sell to start with, and then it's going to be a death threat. This is going to be the same principle with these stories that I've been sharing. Um, and uh, we are to obey God and not man, right? To obey God and not man. It's an amazing amount of stories there. But anyhow, we should have a break, I think. And um, <coughs> time runs away on us on this program. <laughs> it sure does. Okay, so actually right now we only have um, less than 10 minutes till the end. And we're having this song, Count Your Blessings. Yes, now we're going to have the song. And it's a good song, we need to do that. The Bible tells us to do that. I was blind, now I'm seeing in color I was dead, now I'm living forever I had failed, but you were my redeemer I've been blessed beyond all measure I was lost, now I'm found by the Father I've been changed from a ruined treasure I've been given a hope and a future I've been blessed beyond all measure 
It's a wonderful song, Count All Your Blessings. Man, it's a secret in life. You know, you hear so many people complain, and I guess all of us have complained at times, but really that is the secret. Um, if you read Deuteronomy 26 and verse 11, that's what it says. You know, thank God for all the good things that he's given you. And it's um, a good philosophy. Now, um, I'm just trying to give you examples in the Bible and uh, outside the Bible of of this force worship, force worship. And another, um, well, <clears throat> no, a crisis. Uh, this one I'm thinking of is Elijah. Elijah, and um, it's the time when it was a crisis. And they came to Mount Carmel, and you had all the prophets of Baal. Um, there, were, there was something like 900 prophets, and they had this contest, you know. Um, they built an altar. Each of them, the prophets of Baal built an altar, and um, whoever, what God answered by fire, that was the true God. And so... Um, the prophets of Baal did their altar and they had their sacrifice and um, they danced around to three o'clock. And then Elijah built his one and God answered by fire. And the people said, the Lord, he is God. right? And um, so he's going to come, this worship thing. Who will we worship? Will we worship the gods of this world? 
which can be anything, or will we worship the true God? Will we worship the true God? So everyone's going to be faced with that in that final crisis. Now, have I got time for another example, or am I running out of time? I've got time for another example. Another example is the time of the flood. Noah preached for 120 years, and there came the last day. And uh, those who went into the ark were saved. And the ones outside, you know, life, you know, they, they went into the ark. Noah and his family went into the ark. The door was shut. That was probation had finished, right? Nothing happened for seven days. Life went on just the same, right? And then the rain came down. And everyone on the outside was lost. Everyone on the inside was saved. And this is what Jesus says. And I'll probably finish with this. Um, where we want it? 35. 35. This is Matthew 24, 35 onwards. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will by no means pass away. But that of that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, but my Father only. As it was in the days of Noah, um, so also in the coming of the Son of Man. For as in the days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, unto the day that Noah entered the ark, and did not know until the flood came and took them all away. So also will the coming of the Son of Man be. Right? Isn't that interesting? Right. So I've got to stop. Unfortunately, but we'll we'll start again with um, that next time. Yes, so thank you, Dennis. Yeah, challenging, challenging times to come, and uh, yeah, <clears throat> just thinking back over the last two years, who would have ever thought that we would be um, forced to to go into lockdown and all that sort of stuff, losing um, control and more and more. <clears throat> of that is coming. So God wants us to be forewarned, to be forearmed, to cling to him now. So yes, from um, Dennis and myself here, we we just ask that you will um, be blessed and that you will be spiritually encouraged and I encourage you to seek God first with all that you have put him first because he put you first so from us here we uh, pray that you will grow in grace and may the love of the Father and the grace of the Lord Jesus and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you God bless If you enjoy this NPR podcast, please consider subscribing. Our podcasts are available on all major podcasting platforms, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts and Spotify, as well as the accessmedia.nz app. Support this show and others like it by giving a donation. For more information, go to www.npr.nz forward slash donate.